Dear Heavenly Father, God, you created ethnicity, Heavenly Father, and I just praise your name for the beauty of diversity that's in the world today. Lord God, it's your Sabbath day, and I just want to treat this topic appropriately on the Sabbath. So please just give me clarity in your spirit. Give us all your spirit, Heavenly Father. May we lift up Jesus today. And I just ask that this topic cuts all of our hearts open for your glory, Heavenly Father. Please just be here with us now. If you're not going to be here, then let's just walk out right now. So just bless us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So ethnicity and nationalism. It was an absolutely gorgeous fall day in College Dale. I woke up, and I was a student at this time, and I didn't have any classes that morning. And I looked outside, and I saw the blue sky and the crisp fall air, and I said, I'm going to go exercise. So I did. So I got in my red, huge red Chevy Blazer at this time that I was driving, and I started making my way from my apartment to the Greenway. While I was driving there, I flipped on the radio to listen to the morning news. And I heard, or I thought I heard, that a small plane had hit the World Trade Towers in New York City. I thought to myself, that's really strange. Why would a small plane hit the World Trade Towers in New York City? And so I was like, well, oh, not a big deal. So I flipped off the radio. I decided to go on my brisk walk on the greenway and actually started going about five minutes. And I was like, wait a minute, a plane hit the World Trade Center? Whoa. So I ran back to my car. No, this is the truth. I ran back to my car, got in my blazer, drove as fast as I could back to my apartment and flipped on the TV. And this is what I saw when I flipped on the TV. I saw these World Trade Centers, somewhere where I'd just been a month before, smoking, smoking. And then, right before my eyes, and we heard Sebastian talk about this this morning, if you guys were there at his presentation, I saw these two massive towers just crumble to the ground. This was September 11, 2001. And I bet you guys were, of course, younger. There's a lot of youth in here at this time period. But I still bet you remember where you were that day as well. It's just a moment that stands out. In the weeks and months that followed, as the details of the World Trade Center attacks became public knowledge, there was an upsurge of patriotism in the United States. And I define patriotism as a love of country. Everywhere I looked, cars, houses, billboards, we saw the American flag proudly displayed. And this is certainly not a bad thing in and of itself. But at the same time, there was an upsurge in nationalism. And I define nationalism as a devotion to the interests or culture of a particular nation including promoting the interests of one nation over another. Let's say this in an easy way. Nationalism is an us versus them mentality. An us versus them mentality. Let me explain this. On September 11, 2001, we had 19 hijackers that were associated with the extreme Islamic group Al-Qaeda. And do not get me wrong, what they did was a horrible 
thing. It was a horrible thing. I actually lived in New York City the year after. I was there for the year anniversary. I was doing an internship at the United Nations. I met several individuals that lost loved ones in the attacks. It was a horrible thing. I met one lady at the church that I was going to, 7th Avenue Church in New York, right near Central Park. Get this, get this. Her husband's first day of work was September 11, 2001. He was the board chairman of a Seventh-day Adventist church in New York. He lost his life. They had two small children. It was a horrible thing. I would go. I would go to the ruins of the World Trade Center some days after work and just go down there and look at it. It was still smoldering. Horrible, horrible. But back to these hijackers. Because of their air connection to the Arab world, because they were Muslim, a general fear of Arabs spread across the United States, whether these people were Muslim or not. If people were riding in airplanes and they saw an Arab-looking individual on that airplane, they would look around. There were hate crimes against Arabs in the United States. There was discrimination against Arabs, and even people that look like they are Arab as well. Because of the actions of just 19 individuals, the entire Arab American population was at risk. This is an example of fusing the potency of ethnicity and nationalism. Ethnicity and nationalism. But is this an isolated event in the history of the United States? Sadly, no. Sadly, no. Let's look at an example. What about the Native Americans? From the outset of our nation's history, our nationalistic identity did not, and I suggest to you, has not included the Native Americans. Let's specifically look at the example of the Cherokees who inhabited right here, the southeast of the United States. First, we whittled Cherokee lands away from them. Then, we forcefully kicked them off their land. Then, right here from Chattanooga, where the walking bridge is downtown, we sent them on the Trail of Tears. <coughs> so we sent them on a walk in winter, no less, from Chattanooga all the way to Oklahoma. This is an example of the fusing of ethnicity and nationalism. Let's look at a second example, slavery. Again, from our nation's history, slavery was an entrenched practice, especially in the southern United States. Similar to the Native Americans, black slaves, Africans, at, did not fit our nationalistic identity. And we deem them not even to be a whole person, but three-fifths of a person for representational purposes in Congress. Even after the Civil War, when slavery was abolished, there was basically an insurgency in the southern United States by white Southerners against African Southerners to exclude them from the political process in white social circles. African Americans were lynched. They were killed. Did you know on the walking bridge downtown that someone was actually lynched there in 1920? So when you go there, maybe think about that next time. That's, you know, part of our history. Definitely. They were lynched, they were abused, and they were kept separate and unequal. 
well into the latter half of the 20th century, ethnicity and nationalism. Let's look at another example, Japanese internment during World War II. During World War II, after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, Japanese Americans were rounded up in droves and put in detention centers in California. Over 100,000 individuals. Their property was confiscated, their farms and businesses were shut down, and then they were sent all across the United States to different, some people call them internment camps, other people call them concentration camps. There was no single proof of Japanese American espionage in World War II, not one. Japanese Americans in Hawaii were not placed in camps, but for some reason Japanese Americans in California were. They did not make the American cut. Ethnicity and nationalism. So, we have looked at issues of ethnicity and nationalism in the United States. However, is the United States unique? Has ethnicity and nationalism been an issue in the world at large? Absolutely, absolutely. Some examples of the fusing of ethnicity and nationalism in modern history, just to name a few. The Holocaust, World War I, the Rwandan Genocide, ETA practices in Spain, their terrorist group, the Balkan conflicts in the 90s, infighting between the Tamils and Sinhalese in Sri Lanka, the suppression of Uyghurs and other ethnic groups in China, the suppression of the Kurds in the Middle East, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, etc., 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 etc. Ethnicity and nationalism. But Mindy, you might say, this is the world. And we know that the Bible teaches that the world fell with Adam and Eve, right? This world is sinful, amen? We can expect ethnicity and nationalism to be a problem in this sinful world, right? And I would agree with you guys 100%. But the problem I have is when ethnicity and nationalism enters the church, specifically not any church, but the Seventh-day Adventist church. And please don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the Seventh-day Adventist church. I adore it. I am so thankful to be a part of a worldwide movement that lifts up the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus, amen? amen? It is an amazing, awesome privilege to be a member of this church. We all know that the Bible teaches that God is actually the creator of ethnicities. I suggest to you that ethnicities were created at the Tower of Babel when God dispersed the peoples abroad across the earth and gave them different languages. That's my suggestion. So certainly, ethnicity and ethnicity is not negative in and of itself, okay? Ethnicity is not a negative thing. I actually find studying different ethnicities invigorating. I spent thousands of dollars in grad school for this reason. I think it's a definitely an interesting thing. And I suggest to you that's an incredibly beautiful thing that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is so diverse and in so many different countries around the world. It's a beautiful thing to worship with Adventists in Africa, in Turkey, in Europe, in South America, in Australia, and have a common bond with the people. 
But ethnicity is a problem when it is fused with nationalism in the church, not by everyone, by no means, but by various individuals. For this reason, in 1985, the church decided to hit this issue head on in a statement, a statement on racism. Basically, ethnicity is a euphemism for racism. Do you guys know what a euphemism is? A nice way to say something. Ethnicity is a nice way to say race, to say race. And this statement by our church in 1985 says this, one of the odious evils, one of the what? Odious, odious evils of our day is what? Racism. Racism. The belief or practice that views or treats certain racial groups as inferior. The Seventh-day Adventist Church does what? Deplores. Deplores all forms of racism, including the political policy of apartheid. And this was a major issue in South Africa during this time period. Then it says, Seventh-day Adventists want to be faithful to the reconciling ministry assigned to the Christian church. As a worldwide community of faith, the SDA church wit wishes to witness and exhibit in her own ranks the what? That was a little weak, but that's all right. <laughs> the unity and love that transcends racial differences. Amen? Amen? This is a beautiful statement. I am so proud that our church makes statements like these. Amen? Amen. Mm. Definitely important. But, unfortunately, various individuals and churches have not lived up to this statement in the history of our church. And I'm gonna share with you some examples, and I don't want to, but I'm going to, because it's important to know about. First example, during the Holocaust. German-Austrian church apologizes for Holocaust action. I took this from the Adventist News Network, and it's just from 2005, so pretty recent. Church leaders in Germany and Austria expressed regret that our people became associated with the racial fanaticism during the Holocaust. A paramount regret, the statement indicated, was that German and Austrian Adventist congregations excluded, separated, and left church members who were of Jewish origin to themselves so that they were delivered to imprisonment, exile, or death. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Dr. Daniel Hines, he found this out when he was researching stories about Adventists that made a difference actually helping people during the Holocaust, but he came across this information as well, and he couldn't disregard it. So yes, numerous Adventists helped people during the Holocaust, but actually numerous Adventists in church congregations allowed people to go to their deaths during World War II. Another example, the Rwandan genocide. Does anyone know when this happened? 1994, 1994, and this statement is actually taken from the United Nations High Commission on Refugees. So we made this publication in 2003, and it gives some stats about the Rwandan genocide and an estimated 10,000 Adventist church members lost their lives. That's tragic. It was infighting between the Hutus and the Tutsis in the little country of Rwanda. However, this is e almost even more tragic. A pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Elisaphon, and I'm not going to try his last name, whose rank is more or less equivalent to that of a bishop, 
in the Catholic Church, so basically he was the leader of the church, and his son, Gerard, were reportedly implicated in the 94 genocide. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison and his son to 25 years in prison for the roles they played in the Rwandan genocide of 1994. So they were involved with the genocide. They turned their head and they didn't help the Tutsi people. So yes, there were people in Rwanda that did not help with the genocide, but there were also people that aided the Tutsis. Have you guys watched the movie Hotel Rwanda? Okay, so the manager of the hotel, who is the hero of the movie and what happened there, his mother was actually a Seventh-day Adventist. And he said his actions were a result of his faith. So amen. amen. So we've got the good and the bad in every situation. But you might be saying this. This is in the past. This is in the past. Certainly, ethnicity and nationalism is not an issue in our church today, right? It's not here today. So right now, I would like Kyle to come up here with me. And I'm just going to ask him a couple questions. So Kyle, as a young person, in your personal experience, have you experienced or seen racial issues in the church today? I have. I do believe that our church, though making strides towards equality and putting aside racial differences, does still struggle in some area with, with differences and misunderstandings and sometimes just actual ignorance um, within our very own church. As a young person, how does this make you feel? How does this make you think? I find it to be very counterproductive. I mean, ultimately, we're all moving towards the same goal. So we should be able to put these things aside, whatever our differences may be, and focus on the one true thing which matters, which is individual salvation for each and every one of us and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't think that we should focus on the smaller things that separate us as we try to think about that one main goal. So is this how you think this problem should be addressed? I do. I really do think it requires going back to remembering that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and that in Christ there is no difference in race or gender as the pastor spoke of today in church and that we need to remember that we've all been cleansed by the same blood and that we all have the same goals and intentions. Thank you, Kyle. I really appreciate that. Can we say amen one more time? Amen. I have to wear this because they're recording it for audio verse. So in my own experience, I have seen and heard of much discrimination as well, particularly with African-Americans in the South in the 1950s and the 1960s. Certainly, discrimination was a huge problem. And the thing is, the world has an excuse, but does the church? Absolutely not. We have the Bible. And the Bible, for thousands of years, we've had the teaching that we are all one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I want you to listen carefully about this. More recently, after September 11, I have heard of numerous Christians that I know talking about Muslims and Arabs. 
and actually slandering them as inferior people, as solely bent on terrorism. It seems that the war between Al-Qaeda in the United States, the war between the insurgents in Iraq in the United States has seeped into their own hearts. Ethnicity and nationalism has been fused, and us-them mentality has been created in Christians. This should not be. Is this for God's glory? As Christians, are we called to go around hating and slandering the enemies of the United States? Is this part of the Gospel Commission, our heavenly mandate? Absolutely not. And the question begs to be asked, does God have a solution for the potent fusing of ethnicity and nationalism in the hearts and minds of Christians today, yes or no? Absolutely. So now we've framed the problem. Let's get to the exciting part of the talk today. Let's get to the Word of God. I hope some of you guys brought your Bibles. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good job. So God's solution to this potent problem of ethnicity and nationalism. First text, John 12, 32. John 12, 32. If I, if who? I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to who? Myself. Is this Mindy Ron? Is this Kyle? This is Jesus Christ. If we lift up Jesus, it brings unity among people inside and outside of the church. Let's look at another powerful text. I liked what the pastor talked about at church this morning because it's kind of along the same lines. This is a good text. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many as you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on who? Christ. Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in who? Christ Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's keep going. Another text along the same lines. Colossians 3, 9 to 11. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is what? Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is what? The first part was strong. Let's try that again. But Christ is what? He is all in all. Amen? I mean, this is exciting stuff. Let's look at another quote. Christ's object lessons. No distinction on account of nationality, race, or caste is recognized by who? Is there a distinction? There's no distinction. All men are of one family by creation, and all are one through redemption. Christ came to do what? Demolish Demolish every wall of partition, to throw open every compartment of the temple, that every soul may have free access to God. Does this include Arabs? Does this include Argentinians? Absolutely. Let's keep going. Testimonies. You guys need to get out your books and read these powerful quotes. It's awesome. This is God's solution, and we all need it. I need it. We all need it. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, there will be a triumph of humanity over what? Prejudice. 
prejudice and seeking the salvation of the souls of human beings. Who will control minds? God will control minds. Human hearts will love as Christ loved, and the color line will be regarded by many very differently from the way which is now regarded. Amen? Amen. Thank you. For just a few more, we'll, then we'll be done. He who is closely connected with Christ is lifted above what? The Thank you. The work of the who is our example? Good the Good Samaritan that we are to follow as Christians. So what is God's solution? To discrimination, to prejudice, to the fusing of ethnicity and nationalism? Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, allowing God to take control of our lives. Every solution comes back to Jesus. If you want a solution, don't go to your government textbook. I'm serious. Don't go to your civil liberties in American politics textbook. Go to the Bible. This is the ultimate book on any subject. And you can quote me on that. So let's just look, let's just look at one more example in John 4. Let's actually open up our Bibles to John 4. John 4, everyone. When you're there, please say, I am there. I am there. Good. So we're going to read verses 5 to 10. Verses 5 to 10. I'm used to teaching, and I would totally just let someone else read, but because of this recording, I'll just keep talking. So, John 4, verses 5 to 10. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied. Did Jesus ever get tired? Sure. Did he do this for us? Yeah. Absolutely. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? Jesus endured tired and thirst for us. That's awesome. So being wearied from his journey, he sat thus by the well. Wouldn't it be wonderful just to run into Jesus? Just hanging out, and you're just able to have this amazing conversation with him? Anyways, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, what did he say? Give me a drink. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, what are you doing? How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with who? Were they separated? Was there discrimination? Yes. Had ethnicity and nationalism, if you can call it nationalism back then, been fused? Absolutely. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Living water. Living water. Absolutely. And if you go to Desire of Ages and you actually read about this chapter, the gift of God here, they called water the gift of God in the Middle East. So this gift of God was actually Jesus Christ himself, the living water, that was talking to this Samaritan woman. So Jesus right here has a cross-cultural experience. He crossed a boundary that was erected during this time period. And what was the result? He saved a woman's life. And not just one woman. Jump down to verse 39. Verse 39 to 41. 
And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in who? Because why? Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. And we skipped that part, but he told her her history. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. In verse 41, what was the result? And many more believed because of their own word. So he crossed a boundary, and what was the result? The salvation of souls. I know it's 2 o'clock, you probably ate, but can you say amen to that? Amen. I mean, these are people's lives. I mean, this is not just, you know, random information. So how does this apply to us today? Let me give you an example of a fellow young person. I wish that Sam Bonello, does anyone know Sam Bonello? Okay, excellent. Some of you guys do. I wish that Sam Bonello were here today so that I could actually interview him like I did with Kyle. But I will do the next best thing. I sent him interview questions over email, and I'll give you the answers to them. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Sam is a friend of mine that I met a few years ago when I was attending the Arise Institute in Michigan. Sam is from Australia, and at the age of 19, he became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. After Sam became an Adventist, he's like, I'm not going to just be a pew sitter. I'm not just going to go to church for potluck and then do whatever I want. He became involved in ministry, but not just any ministry. For the past several years, Sam has been attempting to connect with Muslims, specifically Arab Muslims. His goal has been to build bridges with Muslim communities and pave the way for the Adventist church to take the gospel to Islam. Why is he doing this? Because when he read Matthew 24, 14, that says that the gospel has to go to all the world and then the end will come, he realized, what about Islam? There are millions of people, billions, a billion, that have not heard the gospel and they're Muslim. So his goal has been to build bridges. And he has been reaching out to so many people of the Muslim faith. Recently, Sam has been seeing so many exciting things happening in his ministry. Get this. Through his contacts, Muslims have been attending health presentations. We have a similar health message, don't we? They have been requesting, them requesting, books about Adventist prophecy and theology. Muslim leaders, now this is especially exciting, Muslim leaders have been asking he and his uncle to actually come and preach in their mosques. And we're talking big mosques, the main, some of the main leaders of the Islamic faith. These opportunities have come about because Sam decided to cross those ethnic and religious boundaries. He saw a need and he went for it. And he was only like 20, 21 years old at the time. No one was telling him, go do this, except for God's Holy Spirit. So I asked Sam what advice he would like to give to you guys about reaching out across ethnic and religious divides. He said, just do it. <laughs> he said, just do it. We are called in the Bible to be peacemakers. Be humble, welcome the challenge. Study the life of Christ and just ask him to give opportunities. It's as easy as that. Study the Bible, get to know Jesus, and then say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And he will open doors for you. So ethnicity and nationalism, it's a problem in the world today. 
and tragically, it has seeped into our church as well. But I challenge you guys, this new generation of youth, be a part of God's solution. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ just now. Ask him to live inside of you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Nothing else is our hope of glory. Drink of the endless supply of the water of life. Drink deeply. We don't know what our future holds, do we? Tomorrow there could be another huge attack somewhere in the United States and another racist backlash could occur. We just don't know. Or it could be a backlash against a religious group, etc., political group. We just don't know. But whatever happens, determine today to stand on God's side with me. Beg for Jesus' love to be in your heart. We all need that. Determine to love all those of other races, nationalities, etc. In us versus them, mentality is bankrupt. It's heinous, actually. And to be blunt, it's unchristian. It is unchristian. Determined to take the gospel commission to every nation, tribe, tongue, and kindred, wherever Jesus Christ calls you. In closing, the first 21 years of my life, I was basically just living for myself. It was about getting good grades. It was about having the right friends. It was about what I was going to do on Saturday night. It was all about me. But something happened my senior year of college. God totally got my attention. And I was like, God, I want to live for you and not myself. My life has just jumped out of the chart so much better ever since that. I've been, God has sent me to different parts of the world, and I've just had an amazing experience with Christ at the head of my life. Every single one of us has a hole in our heart. And we're going to try to fill it with whatever. We'll fill it with a relationship with a girl, guy. We'll fill it with getting A's in school. We'll fill it with, you know, keeping busy with our friends. We'll fill it with alcohol and drugs. But in the end, only Jesus Christ will fill or he'll quench our thirst for something more. For something more. So I just challenge you guys today. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, no matter what, no matter what nation God calls you to, because he'll give you the power to do it. Don't get caught up in ethnicity and nationalism. It's a world problem. God's people, are we going to make a difference? If you, with me, would like to make a difference and say, God, please use me however you see fit. Please stand with me now. We'll have a special prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just want to come before you right now and tell you that my heart is so hard without you. Without you, I don't care about any other person in this room but myself. 
But with you living in me, God, I can appreciate those of different races. I can appreciate those of different religions with your love inside of me. And there might be other people that are here that are just like me, God. And I just ask that you fill us with the water of life. Please use us in spite of ourselves. May we determine to be a part of your solution to this potent problem of ethnicity and nationalism. Bless these young people, protect them, guide them. May they only seek you to fill that hole in their heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.